We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna... Make it to Michelle again. Prime looks over the middle, now dumps it down, caught, touchdown, Michelle out of the backfield, and the dogs answer quickly. From Georgia back to work, and Sonny Michelle breaks free. Michelle in the clear, foot race. What an answer from Georgia. 75 yards. Scored a touchdown earlier in a direct snap. Now it's Michelle's turn, running all the way. Gets to the edge. Sonny Michelle will send the dogs home to the championship game. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Kruger, and welcome to the 101st edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. And that was Chris Farler, Oklahoma, Georgia, semifinal playoff game, Sony Michelle, dominated. Matt Waldman's going to join us later, talk about running backs in this year's class, because it's <laughs> fucking deep. This... This running back conversation is something that's long overdue. LaShawn McCoy, we love him, and he's a warrior for us. The guy is still, at 29, turning 30, is still one of the most electric running backs in the game of football. But Father Time beats everybody, except for Tom Brady, apparently. Yeah, 30, well, 30 years old, that's when running backs, that's when their shelf life ends. So having said that, this is – and we all saw what Mike Tolbert was last season. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. We need some. We need somebody behind Shady. There needs to be a running back behind LaShawn McCoy. So running back is a sneaky need for the Buffalo Bills, and it seems like a perfect place to start our draft. This is kind of our draft talk. I mean, God knows I hate mock drafts. Mock drafts are the bane of my existence. You also hate last year's draft class. <clears throat> I did hate last year's draft class. So we, that's why we have to make it a point this year to get people on that know what they're talking about because clearly you don't. No, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Clearly I'm wildly off base. So ultimately, though, what it comes down to is there's a lot of things about the pre-draft process I hate. I hate mock drafts. I'll say it now and I'll repeat it again into infinity. 
Mock drafts seem like to, there's no way to I guess I could I guess my take is there's no way to know what's going to happen round by round in the draft. So by spending your free time or your paid time trying to chart every single pick in the draft. I mean you can't you can't possibly account for everything. Look at Laramie Tunsil. He was supposed to be a top three pick. And then his father paid some guy to leak a picture of him smoking weed out of a bong with a gas mask on. And that was the end. He fell all the way to the Dolphins. Now, it's to their credit, but ultimately, you have no idea what's going to happen on draft day. And that's a perfect example of it. So for anybody who does a mock draft, do you not have anything better to do? I mean, Chris... I'm going to give you a running list of the things that are better than trying to put together a mock draft. I'm going to here's my short list. An unpaid mock draft. An unpaid mock draft. I'm going to I'm going to list them for you here. I would rather clip all of my nails and give myself a mani and pedi. Okay. okay. I would rather I I would <laughs> I'd rather pluck my eyebrows. Spend time agonizing over the shape of my eyebrows. You would rather than a mock draft. You would rather uh, indulge yourself in Seagrams for a full football season of tailgating. Absolutely. Than doing a mock draft. I'm sorry, does Pornhub not exist? What are you people doing? You're doing this for free and it means nothing. At least do something that finishes somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, well, some people, some people are paid to do mocks. <laughs> some people are paid to do mocks for the ones that I'm sorry are, I that are this. free. Guys, ultimately, I hate the pre-draft process, but today we kick off ours here at the Rock Pile Report, and we start off with running backs. But before we get into all that, we have to kick things off as we always do with the Bills news update. <laughs> The Bills have been rebuilding the staff in the front office. There's been a lot of turnover this season, and free agency hasn't even started. We've lost our VP of player personnel to the Texans, lost a wide receivers coach to the Chargers, and lost an offensive coordinator to what is the unemployment line. The team has taken steps to refill some of these voids over the course of the last week. We've officially hired a wide receivers coach. Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator, Terry Rubisky. I don't like it. We've also hired a pair of former Alabama offensive analysts in Shea Tierney and William Velashos to serve under offensive coordinator Brian Dable. They also replaced longtime athletic coordinator and trainer Bud Carpenter, who retired last week, with Nate Bresky. Don't know the guy, don't know his... <clears throat> Sounds like it should have been Kyle Trimble. <laughs> don't know the pronunciation of his last name, and therefore I, I don't know anything about you. Robisky is the biggest name of the bunch. I don't like it. Explain why, Chris. I think you should just go with somebody younger. D- okay. Well, that guy's old as dirt. That guy's as old as the dirt he sleeps in. <laughs> Let me explain it to you. He's a former offensive coordinator. He seems to mesh with McDermott's theme of hiring experience behind him on his staff. Titans fans might bitch and complain about the guy. However, he's had a lot of success as a position coach. 
He started out in the NFL as a running backs coach who saw Marcus Allen reach back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons in double Pro Bowls with the Raiders. He was the passing game coordinator for the Redskins and helped them rank fifth in passing a couple years ago. And his Washington running backs flourished as he dabbled kind of in their coaching. He kind of got involved. He cross-trained. So while Tennessee Titans aren't exactly showering the guy with praise on his way out the door, you know what I mean? Like they're angry, like, hey, well, Mike Malarkey didn't do well and you were the offensive coordinator. Mike Malarkey himself was an offensive guy. He took a lot of... I don't, I don't, he took charge of the offensive play calling, more so than Rubisky got credit for. But when things went wrong, Titans fans seemed to throw all the criticism on Rubisky. As an offensive coordinator, hey, maybe he's not the best. What I will say is that based on his tenure and his experience, okay, he's coming to a wide receiver core that was the worst in the NFL. Worst! 32nd in generating separation. These wide receivers had no nuance to them. They just ran, and cornerbacks ran with them and stayed right in their hip pocket, and it made it hard to do anything at the quarterback position. I'm not giving Taylor a pass. I'm just saying that we need somebody else coaching that group of people. And I'm glad it's a guy who has experience as both an offensive coordinator as a running back coordinator, and also as a guy who saw a team finish in the top 10 for their passing game. I mean, Chris, what's wrong with that? I just think a position coach... Because well, he's old? Yeah, because he's old. Go with somebody a little bit younger, a little bit more progressive. Wade Phillips is old. Do you think that Sean McVay right now is second-guessing him as his defensive coordinator? No, it's completely no! different because that's a coordinator. This is a position coach. McVay don't have anything to do with the defense. There's less of an impact to be made when you're a position coach. But the fact that you have experience and you have, you've shown that you understand how passing concepts work, you can teach yeah, wide receivers how it's supposed to be played. Yeah, great. Understanding passing concepts of the 1980s. <laughs> Can't wait for it. Coming 2018 to your Bills wide receiver core. I don't know. I that guy think, can get bent. I think the hire kind of keeps with the theme that McDermott has set out here with, whereas he hires guys to his staff who have lengthy resumes, who have accomplished a lot of things over the course of their careers and have previous coaching experience, whether it's as a coordinator, whether it's as a position coach, what have you. The Alabama hires are interesting from the standpoint of Brian Dable's statement earlier this season. When he was asked how he preps for a game, he admitted that every single game was different. He essentially stated that every game was a a brand new preparation from scratch. We don't repeat things. We take a look at the other team and build our game plan off of what they do poorly. We pick them apart and we build it from the ground up. I mean, that in and of itself sounds pretty Bilicekian. Correct, Chris? Yeah, I believe that. Sounds a lot like Bill. Okay. I wish uh, Dennison knew how to do that. So it makes, he don't know how to do a lot of things. So it makes sense that he would bring his trusted offensive analysts from Alabama with him to the Bills staff. I mean, can you argue with the results? The guy literally had two distinctive game plans drawn up for the national fucking championship game 
in college football and seamlessly rolled out the second game plan and led their team to a dramatic victory. How do you do that? Unless you are a consummate professional and understand the nuances of the game. Coaching matters in college. You have to coach. But what it says is that you can address the weaknesses of your opponent and also the weaknesses of your team. You play to your strengths and their weaknesses. You develop a winning game plan. That's Alabama football. That's why Dable fit in so well there. And that's what I'm hoping they can bring here to the Buffalo Bills. I mean, with these guys here, I just think it means means that Dable's going to at least have a solid foundation to get off to in his career here. He's going to have guys he can rely on for week-to-week analysis, game planning, things of that nature. It's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. I mean, it may not help us record-wise. Who knows? Maybe I'm completely wrong. I just think that it bodes well for the Buffalo Bills. But to the player front, when it comes to players, I mean, that's what makes the team. And this week, we had somebody... St- in-house, kind of interesting. Veteran Vontae Davis visited one Bills drive. Formerly of the Dolphins and the Colts, cornerback Vontae Davis came here as a free agent just on a visit. Now, he's a two-time pro bowler who had his last two seasons cut short because of injury. He left town without a deal, but I think there's more to the visit than face value might give you. EJ Gaines was a solid quarterback for the Buffalo Bills this season. And in games that he started, the Bills gave up 100 fewer yards of offense. But his career has been marred by injury-filled seasons. And he's now missed at least five games in each of the last two seasons. Has EJ Gaines even played a full season? No. He has yet to play 16 games. But even with that caveat, his projected 2018 salary coming in is coming in around $9 million a year on a long-term contract, according to Spotrack.com. To me, this visit kind of tips the Bills' hand to the fact that they don't feel that Gaines is a viable option moving forward. I think that they're doing their due diligence to see who else is out there. Who else has performed at a high level that we can bring in to start across from Trey White just to see if we don't have to invest some high draft capital into another cornerback. That's what it comes down to. I mean, Chris, when you look at Vontae Davis, he's obviously not infallible. His, his in, he's been injured a lot. He got traded for a second-round pick to the Colts, and he was never really healthy from that point on. So they're kicking the tires on guys who have injury history just to see what their price tag is. That's my opinion. It seems I get what he's a little older than EJ Gaines. They both have injury history. I don't know if you're going to get the same level of production that we got out of Gaines when he played, but I would assume maybe they think Gaines and Davis are along the same plane as a player, just that Davis is a little older and we might be able to get him a little bit cheaper. Exactly. Because right now we don't have a lot to work with in cap space. So when I look at this, I see that this is the Bills just kicking the tires on every other option just to see, hey, what do you have? What do you have in the tank? What are you willing to sign for? Yeah, because when it comes to uh, a position on your NFL roster, the cornerback, you can never have enough cornerbacks. No. 
So this is going to be this. I honestly believe that this is going to be one of the deciding factors between the Buffalo Bills deciding that they need to draft a cornerback highly in this draft or whether they think that they can go into the 2018 season with a free agent signing as their starter and not have to spend that draft capital there and then maybe use it for one of the trade-ups that people have deemed so popular in the last few weeks. In any event, they it seems like they're going to continue looking at different options to replace him. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Now, as, as a guy who's going to stay in-house and that we know is going to be here for next year, luckily for us, our defensive end <laughs> depth options – one of them is going to be back in 2018. Defensive end Eddie Yarbrough, formerly of Wyoming University, home of 2018 draft pick Jake Allen. Almost, almost. It's Josh Allen. Get it right, asshole. Josh Allen. Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't know his name because I haven't watched any tape because I don't want him on my team. Oh, well, you should. I want him on the freaking team. And when he doesn't get picked in the top 10, you're going to always see Grims. He is going to be back on the roster this year. Yarbrough played his balls off. He covered special teams. He played backup the end and started when he was asked to. He was perfect in his tackle attempts. He didn't miss a single tackle. And while only getting one sack, he generated a ton of pressure in limited playing time, according to Pro Football Focus. Now, I got the opportunity to interview this guy at last year's training camp, and this was the statement that told me, just kind of said to me, like, this guy is something. He's going to be a grinder. I try my best to be a, a player's coach or a, a, a coach's player. And and if that means, you know, carrying water jugs, hooking up speakers, carrying, doing, <laughs> cutting grass, washing people's clothes, I'm all game for it. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to uh, do my best and really uh, make this team. True to his word, he was a grinder all season for the Buffalo Bills, playing special teams, rotating in at the end, and even starting when injuries required it. He played through injury down the stretch, and even though the stat sheet won't show it, he made a noticeable impact. To me, he's a fantastic member of this team, and I'm glad to see that he's going to be back in the fold come 2018. Now, now hold up here. We were, we were before we started recording. Erica, I was told her I wanted to go to a comedy club. But I didn't tell her that it was out of town. She just figured out that it was out of town. Oh, and there's Chris pumping a Seagram's. What flavor you got, buddy? Fuzzy peach belly button navel. For those of you who don't know, Chris's plan was to take my fiance's friend, Erica, out of town to a comedy show. Yet, usually they go to comedy downtown at Helium in Buffalo. But I'm this such a lunatic. Eerie, this was an eerie PA, and his plan was to just not tell her. Oh, no, we'll just wait till she's on the throughway to figure out that we're not going downtown. We're actually traveling across state lines, which carrying a person against their will across state lines, that could be a felony, Chris. You might have been. Com- and instead, folks, he lost a Seagram's bet to me, and he now has to drink that swill. Ah, what a night. Oh, this is fantastic. This podcast is amazing already. God damn it. I'm so mad. All right. And then, finally, trade rumors for Tyrod. Monday, Ian Rappaport made some waves when he spoke about the future of Tyrod Taylor. And then, of course, Tyrod Taylor for the Buffalo Bills do a huge number, also a $6 million 
uh, roster bonus. My understanding, though, doesn't seem like they want to cut Tyrod. Seems like the Bills would like to trade him just based on how much quarterbacks are going for and how much interest seems Buffalo will be able to do so. This is all well and good in theory. And that's Ian Rappaport from NFL Network. Trading an asset instead of releasing him, getting some form of compensation in return. Seems pretty cut and dry. But before Bills fans get carried away with this narrative, I'd like to make a few points. First and foremost, who is trading for Tyrod? Uh, Arizona, because they have literally no quarterbacks under contract. Okay. As, as a player, for in Tyrod Taylor's case, who every team believes will be cut, why wouldn't teams just wait? It's not like there's going to be a bidding war for the services of Tyrod Taylor. He's a quarterback who hasn't exactly been prolific, Chris. So it's not like teams <laughs> no. are going to climb over each other to try to get him on their roster. He might be prolific in the XFL. I mean, he's got to, he's got to wait though. He might have to. I'm I got to sit out a season in the NFL so I can wait for XFL. Well, and this is the second part of it because you just said wait. We don't have time. The timeline just doesn't make sense. I mean, you take a look at the free agent quarterback market in 2018. It's probably the most interesting it's been in a long, long time. Chris, I don't know the last time that there's been free agent movement like this at the quarterback position in the last decade. Even without Cousins, you've got some promising backups who performed admirably this season that are all potentially testing the waters. Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Bradford, all of the you know all the guys out of all the guys out, out of Minnesota. Of, uh, Minnesota. I, think, I think that is a te- uh, uh, that's all coaching. Okay, I don't think it's talent. McCown, shit. Jo- Josh McCown having coming off the best season of his career as a quarterback. AJ McCarron, who in his few starts looked very good, looked very good. Then think about how Mike Glennon got paid last season. Was it fifteen million? He got a considerable chunk of change, and these quarterbacks are all more accomplished than Tyrod and Mike Glennon thus far into their careers. So while there could be a trade market for a team looking to make sure that they have a quarterback on the roster with starting experience in place, just in place come training camp. Teams aren't going to be throwing the book at Tyrod Taylor as a trade option. More likely is that quarterback needy GMs are going to want to see what they can get done in free agency first before trying to give up draft capital to obtain a quarterback of Tyrod Taylor's caliber. And unfortunately, with the nuances of his contract, we might not be able to afford to keep him that long. Tyrod Taylor has roster bonuses that are due the week free agency starts. So depending on how long all of these different quarterback dominoes take to fall. I mean, the big one already fell with Jimmy Garoppolo. Because everyone thought that the 49ers were a landing place for Kirk Cousins. The fact that he's not there now, they've got their guy long term. Now Kirk Cousins, you know, that's one domino. When Kirk Cousins decides where he goes... That's how all of these other teams are going to start filling their quarterback need in free agency. I feel like the team that knows it's going to be a loser in that race might be a trade candidate. But, Chris, I mean, how long is that going to take to materialize? In which case, 
the Bills are going to have to keep him on the roster past the point where his roster bonus comes due. I think it's the third day of the new league year. And, I mean, you're right. All those dominoes have to fall first before. That's it. And, and you're, you're not going to get anything no, special you're not in a trade. Consequence. A sixth, a seventh, something I don't, like that. I don't want to be a wet blanket for Bills fans out there everywhere. I'm just trying to tell everyone that before this crazy train leaves the fucking station, we all just need to take a deep breath and relax and realize that this is a guy who isn't a starter on most teams in the NFL. All right, folks, and now I know that earlier this season I said I talked about how much I hate mock drafts and I hate a lot of this pre-draft process. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that makes me want to put my thumbs directly into my eye sockets. But having said that, We'd be remiss if we didn't cover it. So to kick off this year's Rockpile Report 2018 draft series, we're going to be talking running backs, and we have none other than Matt Waldman from the Rookie Scouting Portfolio here with us tonight. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Man, I'm doing great. It's good to rejoin you guys. How are you doing? Not too bad. We're great. I want to. I'm excited to get to know about these running backs in this class because I know a lot of Buffalo ain't too thrilled about. Mike Tolbert with a, running a draw on second and 25. Mike Tolbert <laughs> caught a lot of Bills fan ire this season. And the team really, you know, Travis Cadet, and then he had his gruesome injury, and then some guy named Murphy, who I resigned to calling RoboCop just because it made me feel better about it. Like, we were scrambling to find another option besides LaShawn McCoy. So I know this is a, it's a sneaky position of need for the Buffalo Bills this year. So first and foremost... Mr. Waldman, rookie scouting portfolio. I got to ask. So you did you kind of operate this entire thing? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. So you know, I don't have a traditional football background. I was just I was just someone who loved football, loved the game for a long time, and I wound my way up into an operations management position over time. You know, about twenty five years ago or so, and spent a lot of time you know at work. And one of the things that I I had to do was to learn quality processes and monitoring performance evaluation processes. And I developed, I had to get certified in some best practices and those types of things. And just, and I had always been a freelance writer on the side. It was something that I thought about doing and I had done some paid work doing a lot of corporate work and things like that. But then I was slowly making my way into writing about football and doing fantasy football, um, in addition to some of the other freelance work that I often did, um, you know, on a more of a corporate background. And I just decided one day that it'd be kind of fun to take some of those best practices that I learned and apply that to evaluating football players. And I thought because the, the processes that I learned, I discovered that really the more you engage in using a good process, the more you learn about whatever subject it is and you and that process helps you refine it over time if you're really strict about it so i decided that's what i do with football and that was about 15 years ago and it developed to the point where now it's a publication that's devoted to draft mix fantasy owners media and i have you know some of my clients include you know nfl people including some scouts including some people who've either played in the league or coach positions um you know a couple years ago cj precise's brother actually took a look at actually cj precise looked at something that i did decided that it was 
um, something interesting that maybe he hadn't thought about in terms of criticism about his game when he was at Notre Dame, brought it to his coach at Notre Dame. His coach said, no, this is dead on. Um, you know, this is good information, and you probably want to learn a little bit more as you get prepared for the draft. So his brother reached out to me on his behalf, and I helped hook him up with the running back coach, who I had also evaluated years ago, um, <laughs> and who ended up playing. In, he, he had some he had some jobs with uh, with the Steelers, Jets. He had a cup of coffee with a number of teams, but kept getting hurt and wound up in the CFL and had a career-ending injury as he Ooh. as they were getting him ready. So his name's Chad Spann, um, and he's a running back. He, he does a lot of running back work um, with high school and, and some you know early college players. So that's kind of what I do. And the RSP is devoted to the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end positions. It's you know about 300-page draft guide with rankings and takes you step-by-step step through my process. And it's very transparent. It's different from what the NFL uses to, for their scouts to grade. Um, you know, because it's developed more on best practices, not on what they did at Blesto 50 years ago. Um, <laughs> you know, they they have better scouts probably than what I I offer in terms of my eye. Um, but you know, I've had my share of successes and failures, and and at the same time, you know, it gives you kind of a different outlook on things. It's not based on draft grade or position, um, and it's something you can look through that gives you an idea of really the work that goes into it. Because I even show you the other about seven eight hundred pages worth of work that I do <laughs> to do this stuff. So it's fairly insane. It's become you know a, a big time fantasy thing for the fantasy community who are into dynasty drafts and things like that. But I've also had the opportunity to do some work, you know, just in the general football sphere, which is really what I am at heart. Dude, you are incredibly well spoken. I, I tell I I told Chris the the first time I ever checked out one of your breakdown videos, it's incredible. I was like, oh my God, this guy is so well spoken. He's got a nice tone of voice. It's gonna be great for, for a host. This is your your gold, sir. Well, I appreciate it because most of the time, sometimes when I'm tired, you're gonna hear you know a lot and a lot of ums. <laughs> See, but and at least you some know of your these crush. things that I do on these videos, sometimes, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, and I'm I'm out of it. So I, I get some people occasionally complain and go, I can't believe, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I would have liked the information, but after he said, you know, about the 50th time in two minutes. So, <laughs> so I've got to we'll ask, see how that works. given how much college football you watch throughout the scouting process, I got to ask all of the work you put in, would you say you're a bigger fan of college football or pro football? Oh, by far, fo- pro football. College football is a job to me. Pro football is a joy. <laughs> okay, see, so, and that's, so, and that's yeah. important to both us and our listeners because it kind of helps establish where you come from in all of this. So then I got to ask, who is your team? <laughs> My team, well, I grew up in Cleveland from, I was born in 1970. So I was a Cleveland Browns fan in the 70s and 80s oh. until, yeah. So I was a huge Browns oh. fan, and then when all that all that went down, oh, and Art and, Modell and with and Modell and all of that, you know, I couldn't be a I couldn't be a, a Baltimore Ravens fan. It's like someone stealing your wife and becoming friends with them. You know, I mean, that's you just can't do that. You know, uh, I'm sure some people are bigger men than I am, but I'm I'm certainly not in that regard. So seems like you're I lucky though. Scheme. It seems like it's a good thing you got off when you did, because <laughs> you, you know you didn't stick with the Browns franchise. And yeah, I I understand. I completely understand. Oh my God, I've said it before. If the Bills were to have ever left Buffalo, done, done. The NFL's dead to me. It's going to be roll tide. My truck is going to be covered in stickers from Alabama. Like that's it. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still at 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 its core, I'm still a Browns fan at heart, but it will never be the same. So I follow no. I follow regimes, and okay. the regimes I followed are 
generally 4-3 teams, teams that play the 4-3 have strong bump and run cover corners, usually a good hard hitting safety um, or guy <laughs> who has range and a strong running game. You know, All right, so, so you're a Bills fan. You're talking about <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then I got to ask, what is your favorite way to watch football on Sundays? And what is your favorite beer? I mean, these are standard questions we ask every new guest on their first appearance in the show. Well, you know, a lot of the work that I do in addition to the rookie scouting portfolios that I'm over at footballguys.com, which is a fantasy football service, which is great. They've been around for a while. And I write a, a, a article called the top 10. So what I do is I study pretty much every game is, is probably I'd say about 11 to 13 of the games each week, depending on the bye weeks. And I give my top 10 thoughts on, on those games from the week. So I'm doing a lot of Instagram work and filming things from there. And that allow also helps me inform really what I'm looking for from college players, because I'm always studying the NFL. And that to me is a vital thing when you're, when you're studying players is that you have to have defined criteria of what you're looking for, for each position. And it should be to an NFL standard of play. And so, you know, for me, I tend to, I just tend to sit back on my couch with a notebook and take notes. And if any of my friends were to hang out and watch me to watch me watch football with me, they'd probably hate me because I would be rewinding the crap out of everything and, <laughs> and looking at things a number of times And beer. You know, I like Abita. I'm a, it's a, it's a beer right. out of Louisiana. So yes, I'm an Abita fan. Southern brewery. And, I mean, we, yeah, uh, we get, I have, to, I have some turbo dog in my fridge at home right now. See, look at that. Yeah, and a friend of the show, our uh, long snapper, Reed Ferguson, is a uh, LSU grad, and he was surprised when he came up here uh, on the practice squad that our uh, local uh, consumer store had a beta product. Mm-hmm. See, look at you. See, that's great. And then I'll give a shout-out to some Terrapin because, you know, I am I did live in Athens, Georgia for about 20 years. So I'll certainly give some Terrapin a love. Now, I've never, I've never tasted it, but I'm going to have to give it a try on your recommendation. Oh, I would definitely recommend Terrapin. So now – now there that we've go. established a background from for Mr. Waldman here, we, we've under, we've established. You know what? Uh, one of our guests, Mark Schofield, used to be an attorney before he turned to football, like scouting and things like that. And he said, he goes, Drew, he goes, you do a good. He goes, you should have been an attorney because you're, you, the thing you do is you establish credibility before you even get into the conversation. Guys, obviously this guy puts the time, he puts the work in. So now. I've got to talk about a little bit about the running game as a whole before we get into specific prospects. The Bills' offensive identity under new offensive coordinator Brian Dable. You've got a switch from zone running to power running. Now, when the Bills were the were the best rushing attack in football for two straight years, we ran behind a power scheme. Whereas Conversely, this last year we fell the fourth or fifth, and we were trying to run this zone scheme. And I think our success was based largely on the fact that LaShawn McCoy is an all-world talent. But when you look at the scheme itself and the way it's transitioning, I guess, so first and foremost, Matt, you're going to have a better explanation of this maybe than I will. Can you give us a brief explanation of the differences between a zone running scheme and what it takes under a power running scheme? Like, what are the differences between the moving pieces? You're talking about the Bills going to to a gap scheme, correct? Or, or to a power running scheme yes. from the zone? Yes. Okay. So, 
when a zone scheme, I kind of look at it like this. Um, the best way I would give it is kind of an analogy that a zone scheme is multiple choice and a gap scheme is fill in the blank. And so when you think about when you think about the strategies of multiple choice, that means that you have to you have to kind of look at the various answers and potential answers there and eliminate them. And there's a little bit more forethought before you you choose your answer. You know, it's kind of like there's mm -hmm. there's multiple possibilities there. And sometimes all of the above is correct. You know, and it sounds kind of weird, but you look at it this way. When you approach the line of scrimmage as a runner in a zone scheme, there are usually three potential answers to that based on what you're reading of the defense. And so you're so you're you want to be patient towards the line of scrimmage. And then when you make your decision, you hit you hit it hard. And usually there's some manipulation involved, too. So, you know, it's kind of more like, hey, buddy, you know, what do you think? Is it B or C over in this and see what they think? Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing where you where you manipulate in a sense of being a little bit more patient towards the line and maybe pressing the line towards the outside or inside before cutting to the desired area. So it creates it, it requires a back who has quick stop start ability, the ability to accelerate. Um, and also has excellent footwork from the standpoint of, of being able to transition from what their eyes see from the from what the design of the play is to what's actually happening in front of the play okay. and to actually transition that to their feet so that when you look at a uh, running back's feet, oftentimes to me that shows their thought process. If their feet are always clean, if they're able to – execute multiple moves and it's crisp footwork they're processing the game at a high level LaShawn McCoy obviously was a great zone runner mm -hmm. and you can see that with his footwork and it allows you to take a little more chances with a with a gap scheme there's a little bit of manipulation of the crease there but it's basically um someone saying you know what this is where we're gonna go this we're, is where we're, we're going, gonna go we're gonna You're run off right tackle this time and if it, if it takes us pulling a guard to get around the end we're going to seal those linebackers and give our, our running back just a, a lane. And then yes. it's on the running back to follow that lane, correct? That's correct. All so right. you want a guy who is who can hit it fast, hit it decisively, and get his pads down and just run through whatever reaches or wraps that are there in the lane of the path. I, I kind of look at it this way. Think of the line as creating a toll lane and that back. <laughs> being a cement mixer that's going down a hill at about 60 miles an hour. Now, see, and there's is, no subtlety. Now, this is what I'll say, though. I think watching LaShawn McCoy play behind a power scheme, he had some of the most successful years of his entire career behind yeah. the, in that kind of a scheme because he used it to get to the second level, and then when he did, he was able to create. He he let his open field creativity take over. Yes, now, and, that's a, and that's a situation where – you're going to have many backs who are very good at both, um, you know, and for McCoy, he's one of those backs that can be a good zone runner, even behind a bad line. Um, but he's also a guy that if you're going to give him the luxury of saying, this is where you're going to go and you're just going to manipulate that one area and make the most of it. He's going to do that very well too, because he also has balance power and very good acceleration. And you just need, you need those qualities. And usually oftentimes, you know, they look for, for bigger backs with speed, you know, think of Leonard Fournette. He's the quintessential gap runner. Oh, and that's it. Like he was, 
I mean, I remember watching those games, Alabama versus LSU, and it was incredible. Like just to see like how Alabama took those gaps away, or Buffalo and Jacksonville and in the playoffs. Tr- well, and when they tried to make him create. <laughs> He really isn't the guy to get outside of himself. You know what I mean? Like he's not the guy who's gonna make the cuts to the exterior of the defense and really no, he's not that guy. He's gonna commit to a hole and when he gets there, he's gonna get there. And whatever happens, happens. Exactly. So, and and when you look at a guy like Devonta Freeman in Atlanta, he's a terrific zone runner because if there's just like McCoy, if someone you know, mess if there's a run, someone misses a block and there's penetration into the backfield. He can create and keep the play on track. Yeah. On basic, and That's it. McCoy was great schedule. at that. It's staying on schedule. So now, right now, you have a couple pieces up that I want to make people aware of. We're going to link them in the show tonight. You had a pair of pieces about, and you used Mark Walt, actually, running back, uh, rookie running back coming out in this year's draft, as kind of the basis of your analysis. But you broke down how brains over brawn is a huge part of being a running back in the NFL. And how... You know, sometimes it's not just being able to bowl over a defender. It's knowing the right route to take in order to get extra yardage. And that kind of shows you, the the analyst, just looking at it from a 1,000 yards saying, look, here's a guy who had choices to make, and he made the wrong one. He's not processing quickly enough. But you, you we're going to put those in the link to tonight's show because I think it's important just for the overall analysis of this running back class. You have to understand what it is some of these guys are good at and they're not. So now, as far as a class overview, over the last few years, we've seen a resurgence in the value of running backs. In 2013, Gio Bernard was the first running back to get taken early in the second round. In 2014, Bishop Sankey was the first running back taken with the 22nd pick in the second round. Almost damn near the third round. Running back value seemed to be at an all-time low. There was talk as the draft went on, like, will any running back get taken in the top two rounds? These were the first drafts in years where there was no running back who wasn't worth a first-round pick. Since that point... We've not only seen a resurgence of first-round running back picks, but also backs who have gone on to truly be faces of their franchise. I mean, you're talking about talents like Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley. But at the same time, we've also seen the position develop a lot of talented depth throughout the draft with later-round picks. I mean, you're talking about your Elvin Kamara's. I mean, Elvin Kamara and David Johnson were third-round picks. Devonta Freeman was a fourth-round guy, and Jay Ajayi was in the fifth round. And Bills fans, remember, uh, what's his face, before he smoked his way out of Buffalo? Carlos Williams. Carlos Williams. Nine touchdowns. Set a rookie touchdown record for Buffalo. It was, there was talent all of a sudden throughout the draft. Now, Mark, Mark, Jesus. Matt. Matt. <laughs> it's all right. I got to ask you, no Bills fan thinks that the team is going to take a running back in the first round, considering the other holes that are on our roster, most noticeably quarterback. So I guess I have to ask, what are your terms on the 2018 draft, this class of running backs in terms of overall depth? Yeah, you should be very happy as a Buffalo Bills fan, knowing that you can take a a running back later on in this draft and get strong value out of it because – Last year is a good example. Last year's class was probably the best class I've watched overall from top to bottom since 2007. 
and it was probably a little better than that. In 2007 was Kristen Hall, um, you know, those Darren are, McFadden, those are Felix names. Jones. Those are names. Yeah, those are names, you know. And so when you look at those names, you know, 20, 2016, excuse me, 2017 was a very good class. It was probably one of the best classes I'd evaluated. This class may be as deep, if not a little deeper. And so you're you're looking at guys at the top, like Saquon Barkley, who everyone's talking about, and Darius Geis, and then you look at guys like Chubb and Sony Michelle. But there's also depth in this class, and, it, and there's range of depth. Guys who are versatile, who zone backs, or who can be uh, a variety of you know gap style guys, or versatile scat backs for you, and and can play a into whatever role that you're you're looking for from a player. So there's a lot of depth here, and I think that when you look at that early pick, Buffalo fans should be happy that you can probably find a back who's going to be quality for you within the first three to four rounds and feel pretty safe about that and then may wind up with another back or two late or maybe even in free agency who develops for you as well because running back has such a wide range of of you know grades for scouts because of need fit that type of thing oh, and also that you know you can they're like shooting guards in the NBA you can find them off the street and they can do pretty good for you right away when you just plug them in well that's it I mean I, I mean you look at Murphy I was calling him RoboCop you know I was <laughs> calling him RoboCop last season some guy named Murphy that's all I know about him and then he came in and in one of the bigger games of the season cracked off a giant run for us and it's like oh Jesus all right. All right, that guy can yep. run the ball. Where did he come from? I don't know. I have no idea where they scrounged this guy up from. <laughs> in the, in and th- that's the thing. You had, I mean, you had Joy Bell pass through Buffalo, you know, and Buff, and he yep. also passed through New Orleans and Philadelphia on his way to Detroit for a couple of good seasons before he got hurt. Spencer mm-hmm. Ware was a guy I had rated very highly, who was drafted by the Seahawks in the sixth round, and because he got in trouble, he wound up in. He had a like maybe about an appointment with the New York Giants that didn't work out very long, <laughs> yeah, and he no. wound up in Kansas City. And before he got hurt, you could see the talent that was there. Flashes of what was going to be this. I'll tell you, if it wasn't for the injuries, Sherkandrick West, nobody would know his name. Nobody yeah. would know who Sherkandrick West was. But but this leads to another thing. You're talking about injuries. In the modern NFL, it seems very in vogue. Running back by committee has become a very popular approach, and there's some GMs that live and die by that. There's some GMs, and I'd like to think that ours is one of them, just because of how they've treated LaShawn McCoy so far. They believe that in like the bell cow running back system, whereas you've seen other teams like the Patriots and the New Orleans Saints. And the Eagles. And the Eagles, who do this running back by committee, oddly enough. Our team, eh, it didn't pan out so much, even though he was most of our offense. And meanwhile, those teams that did the running back by committee, maybe they all made the playoffs. I don't want to talk about it. So <laughs> I'm still a little I'm still a little salty. So I'll say this, though. With the LaShawn McCoy trade, we as Bills fans have been spoiled over the last few years with what an elite-level running back can do for your team and your offense. Without naming names, just giving an I mean, I guess I gotta ask. And I know that scheme fit plays a lot into the question, so it may not be exactly fair. How many feature backs do you think that this draft has in it? That's a good question. And I think that probably you can find I would say true feature backs. 
I would say probably somewhere between six to eight guys have the potential to be true feature backs, which is a pretty large number. That's high. And then there, and then there's probably another four to six <clears throat> who might be able to qualify or grow into that role if they prove to their team that they can handle that workload because teams tend to look at players and say, okay, if you're under 215 pounds, we're not sure if you can hold yep. up. And some of those players may not be able to. And so that's, and also depending on the offensive type, you know, if you have a Brian Westbrook type of player and you have an Andy Reid type of coach, you might look at that and say, he's our feature back, even though he may not look that way. Oh, and that's, you know, that's, that's a really good point. And I guess I need to take that into consideration for myself when I look at this class. So now as we get into talking about prospects, I want to start with what I call the Saquon Barkley argument. Now we can all agree that Saquon Barkley has firmly cemented himself at the top of pretty much every NFL draft board. He's somewhere in their top 10. And it's he's going to be the first running back off the board without question. I will put it, I don't know if you know that it's, it's a tradition on our show, we make Seagram's bets. Chris, Seagram's bet. Saquon Barkley isn't the first running back off the board. No, he won't be the first pick. uh, No, no, not the first pick, but the first running back off the board. Oh, he will be the first running back off the board. Everyone knows it. We bet someone has to chug a Seagram's. It's a sense of shame, and also you you get that much closer to diabetes, so we think it's funny. (laughs) One of us is really going to lose one day. We're going to look back, and we're going to be like, damn it, I wish I didn't do that. Right. So I have a pair of friends in mind. I mean, I don't expect the Bills that have – the Bills will – Saquon Barkley, it's a pipe dream for the Buffalo Bills. It will never happen. He will never wear a Bills jersey. And anybody out there who's dreaming of a trade-up scenario where we do anything but draft a quarterback is out of their damn minds. But I've got some friends who are currently having one of the most – I want to call it one of the dumbest arguments I've ever heard. But it's also supremely amusing. And I just want to get your take on it. Friend number one, we're going to call him Luigi for the sake of an anonymity, believes that the Browns would be stupid to pass up Barkley at number one overall. And he makes the argument that if a quarterback truly was in their plans, they could always draft one at number four. So from that, you know, his conclusion is that he feels Barkley's upside compared with any quarterback from this class is better than the top quarterback by himself with whatever the Browns can cobble together after the fact. Friend number two, we're going to call him Brian, thinks that Luigi is an idiot and a madman and that no running back is ever special enough to trump a top caliber quarterback. Since you do evaluations on both, I've got to ask, (laughs) what do you think about this? Well, I think I look at it this way. Quarterback has about a 50% hit rate, really more of a 45% hit rate when you're looking at them in the past 15 years when they're drafted in the first round, which tells you a number of things. Evaluators don't really know what they're doing when it comes to evaluating quarterback play. And more importantly, it's not so much the evaluators, but it's the teams, the teams and how they develop these guys, how, how they how patient they are, whether they have them aligned in the correct offense with the correct coaching staff 
and whether or not that coaching staff's going to be around long enough to actually see it through and someone else is going to go, well, he's not really the type of guy I wanted now that I'm the new coach in town. I don't really need to be attached to him because I know that my owner, who tends to have the attention span of a flea, will see something that rethink. And because they're businessmen with a lot of money and they, they do really well in their business but know nothing about football compared to the people that I've actually hired, I'm going to listen to them instead of the people who've done all the legwork and all those years' worth of things because that stuff actually happens in the league. So, the, so that long explanation of a windup is quarterback is a scary position to try and draft <laughs> and develop. And knowing that, oftentimes teams feel like this sense of fear and – and they may decide that, well, all they've got in this bar is Seagrams and so-so quarterbacks, and I'm going to go ahead and just get my Seagram goggles on and take one home before closing time <laughs> because I do not want to. I do not want to miss one early on. You know, in the I don't want to just not have picked one because you have to pick one. You hear Bill Parcells talk about it. Well, if you, if if there's one that you think's pretty good in the first round, you got to take them. Because and it, but it's all motivated by fear. As good as Bill Parcells is, it's that fear of missing it as opposed to actually taking the right one. So Ooh. if you're going to play it safe, I would say yes. Saquon Barkley might be the safest pick to take because you you've already failed multiple times on quarterbacks, <laughs> and you just got a new GM. You just you, you've had a coach who threw his other GM under the bus. You have. You know, you have a good young quarterback, in my opinion, in Deshaun Kaiser, who actually statistically wasn't too bad and had a turnstile full of receivers that I would have never even taken a chance on. Guys like Sammy Coates, for example, or Kenny Britt as as people who were in and out of your lineup yeah. and who didn't deserve to be there. And you're just throwing this kid under the bus and not giving him a chance to develop because, oh, I don't know. There was this guy I really liked at the top of the first round that the Rams took a couple of years ago, who everyone said was a bust and was horrible <laughs> and, and rode him off just from the get-go, even though I remember watching him going, he's got great feet. He can handle himself well in the pocket. When I watched him in 2016, if you look at the behaviors that are isolated from the surrounding talent, he looks good. He still looks good. He still looks like the guy I liked at Cal. And lo and behold, they got a good coach in there. They have the, the, the staff above the coach left the coach alone and let him do what he was supposed to do. And things kind of worked out. So I'd say until the Browns management and ownership prove that they know what they're doing, and I know John Dorsey has, some, has a good track record in a lot of respects, so some people will criticize the bad parts of it. I would say I'd stick with Kaiser and pick and pick Barkley or pick Barkley first oh, and see what quarterback. I got to tell get. you, Luigi is going to listen to this and he's going to be so happy. He's going to be so <laughs> happy that you sided with him. So now I'm going to go down a list of players. Now we're going to talk about prospects, okay? And I want you know we're going to take our roster and draft pick situation into account. As these are guys I like, I like personally as possible selections in this year's draft. And I just want to hear your opinion on them. And I'm going to start with what I believe is the great white shark of this entire draft. Because as much as I like Saquon Barkley, his price tag, if you're the if you're a running back taking the top five and you don't produce that, you're in a lot of trouble. Sony Michelle, running back out of Georgia, the SEC. He's 5'11", 212 pounds. I mean, 
averaged seven point nine yards per carry. Had about had just about twelve hundred and twenty five yards and sixteen touchdowns rushing last season. Nine catches, ninety six yards, and one touchdown. If I had to pick a running back, if it was me, if I'm GM for a day and I had to pick a running back, it would be Sony Michelle. I say this simply because the SEC is home to some great front sevens, with five of them finishing in the top twenty in all of FBS football for yards per play, and three of them finishing in the top 20 for scoring defense. So to see him put up that type of production in a conference that at least defensively is that competitive is really encouraging to me. And this is what Mike Mayock had to say about his NFL comps. And it's it's Sony Michelle, the running back from Georgia. And the more I watch him, the more I see some Alvin Kamara. They're, they're a very similar size plus or minus 5'10.5", 5'11", 215, 220. His burst and acceleration is outstanding, as is his toughness, a lot like Kamara. Now, I'm not sure he's in the same class yet as Kamara as a pass catcher, but that's why the combine and his pro day are going to be very important for him. And there's Mike Mayock from NFL Network. I mean, you look at YouTube, it's littered with his highlight reel plays. You can find with almost any running back, though, this time of year. But there's a few things that I saw. Just I'm, a, I'm an SEC guy. I watch a lot of SEC football. A couple things I noticed just game to game, just in my analysis post, you know, after the season. First and foremost, he excels in pass blocking. It's natural for him. It just he's a big kid who has a solid base and doesn't get moved very easily. Secondly. Excellent acceleration. And this is what I talk about. When I talk about a second gear, when running backs have that second gear, and Matt, maybe you can back me up on this, but there's fast guys who, yes, your top end speed says you're this quickly. There's something to be said for running backs and for wide receivers and for any other skill position player who can start off slowly and then ramp up their speed when it's convenient for them, which makes them a much more dangerous player. Sony Michel has that. He has that second gear that you see LaShawn McCoy have, that you see Le'Veon Bell have. And then he has the ability with his size to get yards after contact. But he's not perfect. He's kind of an upright runner. You know, he doesn't make a lot of open field cuts that you see from, you know, LaShawn McCoy. And he's very raw as a pass catcher. So where do you what is what is your feeling on Sony Michel? Well, I think that one of the things that you mentioned that's very important is that acceleration is actually far more important than long speed because really what you're looking for from a running back is great acceleration and great stop-start change of direction speed. Those are explosive areas that you're looking for. If you, if Most backs who have that can get you 30 or 40 yards through a big hole, and that's really all you need most of the time. How many times are you going to say – well, it's third and 87, and we need an 88-yard run. You know, that's not exactly <laughs> how things work in the NFL. An explosive play for a run is about seven or eight yards. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a, it's not a big gain. And if, but explosive plays, when, you, when the NFL's done studies on those, you can see the percentage of scores that is, it tends to be fairly high when you get, I believe it's a seven or eight-yard run, and, a, and a, I think it's a 12-yard pass. And so when you have one to two of those in, in a drive, the, your chances – for every one of those that you have, your chances get higher for scoring. 
And so when you look at that, Michelle has that burst. He's very he's up to full speed very quickly. But to me, you combine that physical those physical traits with understanding how to read blocks, mm-hmm. understanding the correct decision making. You guys are going to see that to, the, we we're we're going to put a link to Matt's work on how a running back how brawn doesn't equal brains. We're going to put that in the link to tonight's show. Matt, you've already done the work on it. You've shown everybody how kind of the smarts lead to a, you need to avoid those hits in order to get more yardage. Yeah. And it's about understanding. It's just about understanding how your blocking scheme is set up and, and how to manipulate that. And there are things that you learn as a running back or should learn as a running back as you get more and you get to a higher and higher level. And it doesn't happen always at college. Um, it often happens in the NFL. It doesn't happen with coaching in the NFL. It often happens with working with top professionals who are also on the depth chart with you, you know, veterans who have great vision but may not have your speed and agility or other players in the league who you may work out with or coaches who will help you understand really the ins and outs of not just being the best athlete on the field. And so when you think about, when you think about Michelle, he is more polished than that. He is a good all-around player, and he has a chance, to be honest with you, he has a chance to be a guy that you know, could have a better career than Saquon Barkley. It just depends really? on where he winds up and where those guys fit, and Barkley has some flaws. You know, people don't talk about it. There's a lot of glossing over of that, but you know, I won't get into that here other than just saying that it's a decision-making thing and that LaShawn McCoy had the same decision-making flaws early in his career, he corrected them. Jamal Charles had them, he corrected them. Lawrence Maroney, C.J. Spiller, you remember C.J. Spiller. Yeah, C.J. Spiller was a guy that I named a a phrase after I called the corner store, which is basically bouncing everything outside. And to me, when you go to the corner store, there are very few things that are good for you there. And C.J. Spiller could not (laughs) resist going to the corner store. And, you know, I have an article about basically showing a lot of that. Saquon Barkley tends to think that everything needs to be a big play. And people will blame the line and people will blame, you know, blame, you know, what's happening there but if you look at the actual design of the blocking schemes the creases that were open that he had available and his decision to try and make plays that he didn't need to make he wants the home run and he's not taking the seven to eight yard run that you're saying he's he's not taking he's not even taking the one to two yard gain in a bad situation trying to get the seven really the seven to 80 yard gain in a red zone situation where he just needs to keep the team on schedule. And backs like Michelle understand that. Backs like Nick Chubb understand that. I think Barkley will develop an understanding of that. And I'll just say this. I mean, I like Michelle, but at the same time, you know, a guy like Mayock, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and we're all wrong about things, but Mayock's choice of running backs also included – um, you know, who was that guy? Bishop Sankey. Yeah, <laughs> Bishop, Bishop Sankey, Sankey and Andre about? Williams. Two guys I really didn't like. Oh. And, and for reasons that had to do with decision making. So the fact that he likes Michelle for decision making, I'm happy for him because that's the right track. So then when I look at throughout the rest of the class, there's some names here that I want to run by you and I want to know what you think. I mean, the, the first name that I have on my list is Darius Geis. You know, LSU, SEC. Again, I watch a lot of SEC and ACC football. So a few years ago, we were watching Alabama versus LSU with then-practice squad long snapper Reed Ferguson. 
And the big name was Leonard Fournette. But during that game, Reed told Chris and I to keep an eye on his backup, Darius Geis, because he said Darius Geis can run and nobody knows it. So while Bama had their way with LSU in that game, I kept tabs on the guy. And when Fournette set out the team's bowl game against Louisville to prep for the draft, I was impressed by the way Geis put their offense on his back. He ran like a legit – he ran as if he was Leonard Fournette. You wouldn't have known the stat line was – if you had just shown me the stat line, I wouldn't have known Leonard Fournette sat out. Now, in 2017, he was banged up for a lot of the season but still showed a lot of positive traits. You know, the power to break tackles, good top-end speed, some vision – in there, you know, something that you've touched on over there at the uh, rookie scouting portfolio to follow his blockers and not to rush his cuts in order to maximize yardage. What's your what's your feel on Darius guys? If you could give it to me, just the just the uh, short version of it. Sure. I mean, he's a think of Frank Gore with a little bit more burst and you're getting a, a guy who's a consummate craftsman at the position, understands how he's supposed to run between the tackles, and he can make you miss in the open field, and he's a guy who can carry the load for you, and he should develop into a decent third-down player so that he can be in every down back. He's a very nice back in this draft, and he could easily be the top back in a lot of draft classes that we've seen in years past. So to me, you're if you get Darius Geis – for the Buffalo Bills, he would be a great pick because of the fact that he also played in gap schemes at at LSU. But if LSU, if the Buffalo Bills decide at some point down the line to change coaching, then Darius <laughs> Geis could also play in a zone scheme. So he's a he's a versatile guy who could do either one. And I'm not saying that as a knock against against McDermott, no. more as a, just the fact that realities of the, the NFL. reality is things change. Yes. So now there's a running back out of Iowa. Now, this isn't a school that anybody really pays any attention to, for the most part, when it comes to draft prospects. Akram Wadley, Iowa Big Ten Conference. He's 5'9", 188 pounds. He's projected to run a 4'5", 40 time. Only averaged 4.4 yards per carry. He had 28 catches, though, 353 yards and three touchdowns. The thing for me is that he flashed some kick return ability. And as a returner, this is where it interests me. About Wadley, I look at his versatility. I mean, don't get me wrong. I liked that about C.J. Spiller, and we all saw how that worked out. (laughs) The C.J. Spiller experiment (laughs) ended in disaster. But this is a guy who wouldn't cost you a first-round draft pick. He's not going to wow you with top speed or power, but he catches well and seems like he could be useful in a complementary role and also on a special teams level. I mean, what are your thoughts about Wadley? He's got functional power, but the problem is is that he's had trouble staying being at in the 190 range or above. He can't get above that range, and he's tried. So it, it's likely that a team that picks him is going to see him as more of a scat-back type of player, a James White type of player, someone, a Gio Bernard type of option, where though – but Bernard, I would argue, could probably be in every down back if they needed him to. And and I think that Wadley's a guy that's more of your – at best, he might be your Ahmad Bradshaw type of player who can give you a few games of that type of high workload, but you'd be afraid that he might break down because of his size. But he is a good between-the-tackles runner with excellent burst. He knows how to use his pads correctly. 
and he also can create in the second level. So he's a nice back. See, I look at it. I, I just look at it in terms of kick return. We haven't had a kick return game in years. We yeah. need to get you, that going here in Buffalo. Yeah, and I agree. And if you need a second running back to boot, then he's a good combo to consider that with. Otherwise, there's a number of wide receivers that you might feel pretty good about, depending on, you know, in this draft that you might be able to get later on, too. Now, talking about complementary backs, considering the way that LaShawn McCoy runs, there's one guy who comes to my mind, and that's Bo Scarborough out of Alabama. <laughs> The guy is six foot two. He's two hundred and twenty eight pounds. He runs a four five. He he his stats were down this past season. Now anybody who follows Alabama football or I don't know watched a national title game, he was pacing that game as probably the best offensive player on Alabama's team right up until he broke his leg. Just broke his leg, got carted off the field. At the beginning of this season, you could tell he was much. He was a slower player than I've ever seen him be. You know, in my opinion, he was a a less explosive version of Derrick Henry. Now, Derrick Henry was a second round draft pick. Bo Scarborough kind of it took him a while to get going, but when he was healthy, you could see that downhill running and the size and just what he brought to the running back position. The problem is, is that he's kind of pigeonholed because he's only really useful in power running schemes which makes him more valuable to a team like the Bills, but less valuable to a team that relies on more of a zone concept. So now, in my mind, I I just want to ask you, somebody who maybe has watched some of his tape, where do you see, what round would you peg Bo Scarborough on? Because I've seen him knocked as high as the third round, and I've seen him go as low as the fifth. Yeah, and I'm not really a round guy, to be honest, because I just look at talent as opposed to try and mimic that. But if I were to guess... With that type of range, with his injury history, you can imagine that he'd probably be after the fourth round at this point. And people will say, oh, that's a great pick. You know, all the all the analysts who did the draft <laughs> will talk about how great of a pick it was because he was a productive back. And, you know, to me, you're talking about Eddie Lacy without the Eddie Lacy juice. You're, you're looking – I mean, excuse me, um, Derrick Henry without the Derrick Henry juice is Eddie Lacy, really, when you're looking at this on, on a certain level. And I think that – Bo Scarborough kind of fits that Eddie Lacy mold, but in, not in as terms fat. Of, not as yeah, yep. <laughs> not without the not without the uh, good eating and, and at the Alabama barbecue, exactly. So there's some honorable mentions I want to throw in here. First and foremost, quick thoughts: Ronald Jones the third out of the Pac-12. I didn't get I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of the kids' tape. What are your thoughts on him? Uh, I think he's a very good back who can give you an approximation of what Jamal Charles did at in Jamal Charles prime. He has that kind of upside if everything hits right. And he's a, he's a better receiver than people often say on tape often have seen on tape because they probably haven't watched enough because he doesn't get the number of reps as a receiver that you normally look at, but he's very smooth. He's got better functional power than his size indicates. He's kind of a bigger Akram Wadley who's a little smoother and a little bit stupid, but he was a good football player. He just was too small. When you look at a guy like Penny, I think he lacks a top gear, you know, but I think that also he's a guy that he's good, but not great at any particular skill. I think he's kind of like what I think of Kareem Hunt being a really good example of a player that if you put him behind a strong line, he's going to produce at a high level for you. When that line struggles, you're going to wonder why things aren't going well. Uh, like you saw over this past year. 
And I have the Bills shut the Bills shut Kareem Hunt down in that game, and I did not expect it. And I think you're yeah. right because their center was injured, and so was one of their starting guards. So yeah. you're right when the when they can't pave away for that guy, he really isn't that effective. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna kick. Off. I want to mention someone that we kind of glossed over because as much as I like Saquon Barkley and Sony Michelle. I have to tell you, and you'll see this if you follow me online because I joke around about this a lot. The, if he's healthy and returns to his old form, and I think he was very close to that, the best back in this class, the best back in the past two classes, the best back maybe in the past three classes, including Ezekiel Elliott, in my opinion, is Nick Chubb. Wow. I think Nick Chubb is I think Nick Chubb is a freak of nature when it comes to his burst, when it comes to his strength. And his vision is as good as any back that I have seen over the past few years. And I had Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley were the best two backs I've seen in the past five to seven years. I think Nick Chubb, when he's at his healthiest, is better than them. Now, I, I guess he's. I guess I got to ask though, what is his ability to stay at that? To stay healthy? Mm-hmm. I mean, he I had that one good. catastrophic injury that caused him to not declare for the draft last year. So yeah. now the question is, does he have any other durability issues? Because if not, it sounds like he's he's pretty electric. He doesn't. He doesn't have any durability issues. He had a freak injury. My buddy Gene Bramble over at Football Guys, who's a doctor who does a lot of work, you know, in the football sphere talking about injuries and how, you know, how they're repaired and what goes on with all that, all the medical advice that you that you get from a lot of sites. When we were coming back from the Senior Bowl, I was talking about Chubb, and Chubb tore every ligament but his ACL in, in a game against um, Tennessee. Now, I remember seeing when I hit. told him that, yeah, it was a terrific hit. Ooh. It was a, t- a horrific hit. And when when Gene, when I talked to Gene about it, Gene said that can't be right because if he came back in nine months from that, that's a very rare injury, and people don't come back from that. And so I pulled it up, and we looked through the article and looked through a number of different articles and what the reports were. And I kind of pieced together some of the things and he looked and he said, that is extremely rare. And the fact that he was able to come back from that and come back at the level that he did and to do it as fast as he did, that is freakish. That's, that is unusual. That is very rare. And when you look at Nick Chubb, this is a guy that when he was coming back, he came back in record time he was outlifting Derek. He was out squatting Derrick Henry. The guy squats more than six hundred pounds. Wow. Okay, this Who's is a guy. That lower body. This is a guy. Yeah, lower body. This is a guy who, when he came back, and when Kirby Smart took over that job, well, you know, Nick Chubb was already, you know, was already ready to go. They let him in his first start against North Carolina, which is a pretty good team of athletes. He carried the ball over thirty times in his return game. Wow. Over thirty times. So they trust first game back. You're healthy, and we're gonna put. We're gonna. We're gonna use you as a club. We're gonna beat these guys down. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and he didn't even just beat them out. Done. Beat them down. He outran them. He at the end of the game, he outran a cornerback's angle. Had a good angle on him for over fifty yards to seal that game. So you're looking at a back who, to be honest with you, I'm I'm just kind of laughing because either I'm dead wrong and I've been dead wrong before about players or Nick Chubb is going to be the guy that we're going to look back on and go, we should have remembered when Leonard Fournette after his freshman year said Nick Chubb vastly outplayed me in the SEC <laughs> in our first years together. So now that's your sleeper of the draft. I'll give you mine. His name is okay. Rock Thomas. Jacksonville State out of the Ohio Valley Conference. 
there's something about this guy. Now, Bills fans, I guarantee you, if you go, I mean, anybody can go to YouTube and look up a highlight video of a running back and see a lot of electric plays. What I see when I watch the highlights of Rock Thomas, I see it's almost like a more athletic version of Fred Jackson. What I see is a running back who can play with power occasionally, who can make cuts when he... That's that's the key to his game, though. I mean, uh, Bills fans have watched LaShawn McCoy. You've watched him get into the open field, and when he gets a chance to make a cut and make a guy miss, he does it with an ease that... You don't really, I don't know, it's not normal. Well, he made these Juco kids look like they were peewee football players. And one could argue that, and this is a former five-star recruit at running back, signed with Auburn, couldn't beat out Cameron Petway and uh, Kerryon Johnson from Auburn for starting positions. So he went to a Juco school and was the only thing that their offense ran through. Every game he saw 20, 22, 23, 25, 30 touches, and it didn't matter because he never wore down. He grinded his way through games. He was physical through contact. He could move a pile. He can cut in the open field. He's one of those guys. You know, everyone talks about the small school player who you look for. I mean, Fred Jackson, D3, co-college. Who saw that coming? I look at Rock Thomas, and I see a more athletic guy who can catch extremely well out of the backfield, which was again, an underrated part of Fred Jackson's game. I see a lot of Fred Jackson in Rock Thomas. If we could get a guy like that in the 5th, 6th, 7th round, I don't care where. You find him late in the draft, and he even becomes a complimentary back to what you currently have in your stable, you're winning. You've gotten a player who is going to be useful for you. The guy... Nice. Yeah, no, no, I'm high on the kid. I think that he has the ability to be something at the NFL level. Now, I'm sure you're going to go do your own work after you talk yep. to me. You're going to go yep. look at it, and you're going to tell me that maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm crazy. His acceleration is not elite. You know, you're, That's the thing. He has one gear. He's a one-gear running back, but he's a grinder. He's a worker, and those have their place in the NFL. He is my guy that I've pegged as a sleeper pick for the Buffalo Bills. I guess I gotta ask before we get out of here. Where can we find you on social media? And I, why don't you talk a little bit about the website and where people can go to subscribe to your ride? Uh, sure, to, you know you can stuff. you can you can find me at on Twitter at Matt Waltman, and then you can also find my site www.mattwaltmanrsp.com, and there you'll find gateways to basically my Instagram page to my YouTube channel, the RSP Film Room, which has over 200 breakdowns of, of different college and college prospects over the years. Oh, we're going to link um, that. We're going to link the yeah. YouTube thing separate because I've watched it. Chris has watched it. You guys are going to enjoy this. Cool. I appreciate that. And I'll occasionally have guests on. I had Jamal Williams of BYU join me for a film session of his own tape, and we broke down his tape, and he, he wanted me to do Arizona State, the Arizona State game, or it was the Arizona game where he just blew the doors off everybody, and I insisted we did the Michigan State game where he, he had less than three, less than four yards per carry <laughs> um, because I wanted, to show, wanted but I wanted to show his toughness because yep. it was to me it was more important to show his toughness and his pass pro than it was 
you know, runs where he looked like the second coming of Walter Payton. You know, it was just, you know, there's a, you want to kind of be true to the evaluation process and he was glad to do it. He was great. So things like that, you can find my information at, you know, all those places, mattwaldmanrsp.com at Matt Waldman on Twitter and um, the RSP film room on YouTube. Unfortunately, I don't know how often Rob Quinn listens to our show, but he's just been demoted vocally by Matt Waldman. He has <laughs> the smoothest voice. Smoother than Quinn. Sorry, Rob. Is he Wal- Robert is he like Robert Goulet from Seinfeld? Robert Goulet. Oh yeah. Goulet. 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 <laughs> Get- Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, make sure you follow us. We have our YouTube channel up and running. You have to go check it out. We're going to have a lot of exclusive content over there. Yeah, we only have two videos on there. Oh, uh, don't th- worry. Thank it's you coming. for coming. Yeah, thank you for li- or for uh, 100 episodes. And then also if you want to make chicken wing dip, that's on there too. <laughs> Guys, we're going to be pumping out a lot of content coming this summer, Up, just leading into this season. Chris is going to be sitting in the seats next to me as the season ticket holder. You're talking about someone who's going to have video evidence of the lunacy of Drew Gear. You're all going to get a front row seat to it. Oh, yeah. We just wait till I walk through security with two phones because I use my old phone now just for recording video. And I'm just going to get stopped by security. And what are you, a drug dealer? Why do you have two phones? <laughs> this one's strictly for shooting video. Listen, you're not, you're, you're not cool enough to be a drug dealer. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for showing up tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pal Report. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.